What number is this, Chip? Welcome to the 50th anniversary of The Monkees and the 50th episode of the Zilch Podcast. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. Zilch, Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkees podcast. Since it's monkey music, you know you are listening to your monkey's podcast, Zilch. My name is Ken Mills, and we welcome you once again to Monkey Madness. Today I'm joined by Sarah Clark. Hey, everybody. And we are joined by Jeff Geringer. Thank you so much, Ken. I I gotta say, that's kind of an odd choice of music to open the show with. Well, it's it's a it's a classic at this point, and you know I wanted to play it because I'm feeling a, a bit nostalgic in a sense, and kind of happy to be alive today because it seems like today is a lot like it was during the Monkees' rebirth in the '80s. There's so much stuff coming out, and so much great monkey goodness out there and the new album on the horizon and andrew sandoval posted something really cool he talks about the new recording that he watched mickey make yes as a matter of fact he tweeted this hearing mickey dolan sing xtc's you bring the summer i can declare good times is the best monkeys album since 1968 so that that makes me excited yeah, mm-hmm. very much so, because yeah. he knows. Absolutely. Yep. John Hughes from Rhino posted this really cool video of Mickey Dolenz playing drums for their new CD, Good Times. It was really good. I enjoyed watching it. might just be me, but it's not really the monkeys unless Mickey's behind the drums. I know he says that they were a TV show about a band, but he was the band, and the drummer is the most important part of that band. And Mickey learned how to play and play really well. True. I always look back on uh, From Justice, one of the cool tracks was Dying of a Broken Heart. And listen to Mickey do the riff on that song. That's a tough, syncopated rhythm he's pulling off. And it's always exciting to see Mickey play the drums that video clip that john hughes set over 
just made my day. Yeah, Jeff, I really agree. It's neat as a fan getting to see Mickey play drums. He plays really fun live, and I just like it a lot, too, because a former, you know, seventh grade aspiring percussionist who never got really good, he was definitely one of the people I sort of looked up to in those years. So it's just neat seeing him behind the drum kit. Agreed. So glad to see the guys recording. Sarah and Ken, did you guys see that picture of Peter in the studio? I'm telling you, he has such a look of contentment and just joy in his face. You know that this was not a time where Peter walked in with his guitar and they said, what are you doing here? <laughs> he is a full-fledged participant in this in this new album, and he just looks so happy, so friendly. I, I just It just made me smile. Sarah, didn't you feel the same way? Yeah, I really liked the Peter Tork photos, too, that have been coming out. Uh, I guess he's going to be doing his song called Little Girl. He actually, there's some video of, well, actually audio of him recording it back in the 70s. He performed it at CBGB's, and it's also on uh, one of the Peter Tork and James Lee Stanley albums, uh, Once Again. And uh, check it out if, you, if you'd like. I don't know that that's definitely going to be the song he's doing, but I assume it probably is. Oh, and we need to give special thanks to John Hughes and Andrew Sandoval from Rhino for all of the updates and photos and videos. It's almost like we get to be in the recording studio with them as this comes together. And not just as a Monkees fan, but as kind of a nerd who likes to learn about how, the, how all these things come together. It's really neat getting that behind-the-scenes look. To have someone on the inside like that at Rhino Records is unmeasurable. This is so cool. The day that these guys are in the studio recording their first album in two decades, and we're getting clips and, and, and constant information from John Hughes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As that old commercial in front of all of our Rhino VH tapes of monkeys and MST3K said back in the 90s, oh fair Rhino, oh sweet Rhino, oh virtuous Rhino. Two souls stranded in a barren wasteland. Oh Rhino, let me sing. Oh keepers of the cool, oh masters of the past, I seek thy catalog. Be it rock and roll. Country. Rhythm and blues. Comedy. Children's Fair. Or the unravished home video. Oh, fair rhino. Oh, sweet rhino. Oh, virtuous rhino. When old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain the bastion of taste. Rhino rocks my world. know for two decades the monkey's best friend was Maggie McManus. Four times a year we'd get the monkey business fanzine in the mail and it would tell us all the things that are coming up that the guys have done. I, I can't believe that just a few years later we're getting instantaneous information from the studio in Los Angeles where these guys are recording the next album. It's thank God for social media. True. Thank True. God for all this stuff because you know, as a first-generation fan, I am so excited about this album coming out. Everything in this year is just going to be, I'm just going to savor it, because whoever thought that this would happen, whoever thought the four guys would be on an album again after debut passed, who would have thought they'd have this amazing tour, the merchandise, oh, just it's just awesome. This is definitely an exciting time to be a Monkees fan. Well, better and, than changes, huh? 
<laughs> we love you, changes. Yeah, we will yeah. never forsake you. <laughs> Don't change. That's true. On today's episode of Zilch, we'll be looking back at Davy Jones. This is not a full-blown tribute episode, but Jeff Geringer, you were lucky enough to interview Davy Jones, and he has uh, somebody dropping by with him. That's right. It'll be a fun surprise for you once we replay this interview from 1988. Very good. And we're also going to have Melanie Mitchell drop by, and her and Sarah are going to talk about how you can help out the DJEMF. Yes, it's a wonderful organization, and they're doing some special things right now to tie in with the 50th anniversary tour, and you'll find out more about that here in a bit. Mm-hmm. And 50 is a big word. Not only is this the 50th anniversary of the Monkees this year, but this is the 50th episode of Zilch. Woohoo! And if Woo! I, hey, if I would have known that, I would have worn my good flip-flops. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank you all for listening and putting up with us low these many episodes. And we also like to thank the folks at Rhino for being part of this. And it's just, it's just. This podcast has taken on a life of its own, and we are glad to be part of it. Jeff Geringer also has an interview for us with Rhino's own Harold Bronson, so this should be an action-packed show. But before we get into too much of all of that, let's get into the Monkey's Mailbag. And let's start with some iTunes reviews. Jeff Geringer, would you like to take the first one? I sure do. It's from UMBC81, or Umbuck81. It's a five-star rating. He says, or she says, I've been a Monkees fan for 30 of their 50 years, and it's great to finally have a podcast celebrating the group and their history. These guys are so very knowledgeable about the show, the albums, and the boys themselves. I highly recommend it. Wow. Thank you Isn't so that great? much. That is I love excellent. It. Thank you so much, Umbuck. She thinks we're knowledgeable. Yeah, oh, well, we've got her fooled. I think, yeah. Thank you, Umbuck81, for that wonderful review. And Sarah, I believe you have one, too. I have one, too. It's another five-star review by Bass and Vocals, uh, titled A Labor of Love, Zilch, A Monkey's Podcast. I'll go with that. Okay, uh, Bass and Vocals says... I enjoy the thoughtful commentary on the monkey's body of work. It has confirmed rumors and hearsay, as well as revealed new facts about the monkeys. As a bonus, recordings of live performances are included as oral illustration, A-U-R-A-L illustration. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy the monkeys as television entertainers, musicians, or artists, you will enjoy this podcast. Recommended! Thank you, Bass and Vocals, and thank you to everybody who does reviews on iTunes. If you've never reviewed us on uh, iTunes before, or if you've done it but it's been a while, now would be a good time to go back and do it, because with the 50th anniversary coming up, lots of people who maybe haven't thought about the monkeys in a while will be coming back and maybe looking for a show like this. And every review we get, every rating we get, helps us become more visible in the iTunes algorithm. Very true, very true. So let folks know that you love Zilch on iTunes and Facebook, Twitter, anywhere! 
Well, Anywhere! Skyriding! Yes, yeah, stop your cashier at the local store and just let her know that there's a Zilch a Monkeys podcast. So A kid on the <laughs> Facebook page the other day said that she uh, mentioned to her librarian how mm-hmm. uh, that she liked the monkeys, and her librarian said that she was a Monkeys fan too. So I, I told that listener to tell her librarian about Zilch. So you never know when you're going to find a Monkeys fan. That's true, very true. And before we jump out of the Monkeys mailbag, I'd like to point out that Summer Remlinger wrote that her husband has noticed a severe lag in deep cleaning when we don't put up an episode of Zilch. And it turns out that she cleans while she listens to Zilch. Sometimes she'll listen to the same episode and the house gets really clean and everybody in the house is happy. And uh, she says, uh, I'll start deep cleaning all kinds of random stuff. And, you know, I think that's really cool. And I remember Cindy Large on one of our... Uh, episodes towards the beginning of the series she said that it increased her productivity at work by 25 percent so apparently as monkeys get out more dirt zilch does too so and we also help with productivity so if you are an employer we would like to implore the employers to pipe episodes of zilch over the company intercoms wouldn't that be great I think it's more important. I'd rather have the guy's, the husband, take a little bit more responsibility with the cleaning and let his wife enjoy the Zilch podcast without having to clean at the same time. How about or, them apples? Or, there you go. Or he could start listening to Zilch and the house would get even cleaner. They could knock it out and, you know, hey. soon they'll be organizing the attic and the garage and just, it's, it's, a, it's a cleaner and more productive world with Zilch. A zilch, helping monkeys fans and marriage counseling all together. Yeah, <laughs> zilch. It sounds like a uh, product that you'd buy for laundry soap. Now zilch yeah. gets yes, out long lasting. It's twenty five percent more productive and gets out more dirt. So, uh, Mike, Mike, listen, I'm gonna get some soap. Well, but Peter is Um, excuse me, miss, but uh. <laughs> Yes. Soap. Soap. Maybe that was what April Conquest did after she finished her doctorate. <laughs> if only <laughs> if only she would have used Zilch. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a message from the Davy Jones. Equine Memorial Foundation. Hi, it's Annabelle Jones. Help us carry on our father's legacy by becoming a member of the DJMF today and caring for the horses that he loves so dearly. So you can learn more about the DJMF at www.djemf.com. If you want to learn more about Written in Our Hearts, you can visit them on Facebook. And if you'd like to purchase the book, it's available on Amazon. To help take care of Davy Jones's herd, and to find out more information on the Davy Jones Equine Memorial Foundation, go to www.djemf.com. Hello, how you doing, Sarah? Doing good. Hey, did you get what I just sent you? 
Yes, Zilch Nation, we have received an alert from Davy's daughters, Talia, Sarah, Jessica, and Annabelle. They have put out a call to all of you supporters of the Davy Jones Equine Memorial Fund, better known as DJEMF. Are you going to a monkey's show this year? Do you want to help maintain Davy's beloved herd of rescued horses? DJEMF is seeking three or four people to distribute written materials among the fans at each monkey's show to spread the word about Davy's passion for thoroughbred rescue and to keep his dream alive. It's really a wonderful organization if you haven't heard about it. So if you've already bought your ticket to one or more of the 50th anniversary shows and you'd like to help out Davy's herd, you can send an email to djemfstreetteam at outlook.com. Tell them your name and address, plus the city and date of the show you'll be attending. That's DJEMF Street Team at Outlook.com. DJEMF? DJEMF, Davy Jones Equine Memorial Fund. DJEMF Street Team at Outlook.com. And that's no spaces, right? No spaces, and uh, it'll be in our show notes. Wonderful. You think we repeated that email address enough times? DJEMF Street Team at Outlook.com. Okay, on with the show. Hello, Zilch fans. Jeff Geringer talking to one of the founding members of Rhino Records. Rhino Records, as you know, is the best friend a Monkees fan has ever had. And the origins of how the Monkees came to be part of Rhino and the discovery of what took place in 1986, 1997, and beyond, is a great story, and my guest is Harold Bronson. Let me begin by asking you a couple quick questions. You know, first, you've written two books. One is, is the Bible for Monkeys fans, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. It came out in 1996, yeah. and I research that one all the time. And recently, you've written the Rhino Record story, The Revenge of the Music Nerds. Yeah. You know, as a native of Southern California, I used to make the annual trek to Rhino Records on Westwood Boulevard, and it was the only place to find great vinyl and the newest records by, you know, people like Wild Man Fisher or Freddie Blassie or people that I was into. When you were working at the store, did you dream big that you'd own your own record store someday? No. Um, well, originally when I was at the store, um, it was kind of, I mean, other than the fact of it would be an enjoyable place for a music fan to work, I really wanted to get a job at one of the major record companies, um, and uh, at the time, uh, none of them could foresee the potential that I felt that I had. So then after a certain point, I thought, you know, let me just focus here and try and help Richard with the business, and then I ultimately became store manager. And, but then when we started the record label in the back room, it was more like a fun thing to do and something to um, exercise our uh, uh, creativity. Um, I don't think uh, we ever thought, oh, this is what we want to do and we want to build up a big business. I mean, we really weren't thinking that way. But you really were the all-American success story. Yes, uh, you know, looking back on it. Uh, yes, and what was good about it was it was done for um, the right reasons. It wasn't like oh, let's start a business so we can make a lot of money. It was, we just loved the music, and we um, focused on that, and we tried to learn what we were doing and to be smart about what we were doing, and each year we 
did better than the uh, previous year, but it was always in service of the music. It was always, um, you know, how could we make these packages better? How could we make the record sound better? Uh, which isn't something that the industry was doing uh, in cases where they might have, you know, uh, been issuing older material. Sure. Well, Rhino had a tremendous reputation of doing it right. When you would do a release, it wasn't just throwing 12 tracks on an LP. You know, you guys went to find the original source material and great liner notes and, and did the projects correctly. Well, thank you. Um, tell me, how did the monkeys get into Rhino's radar screen? Well, I mean, I was always a, uh, a monkeys fan from when I uh, first watched the TV show and would buy their records. And um, it was always something that uh, I wanted to reissue. Uh, I, I think it, and at that point, maybe there was just um, the best of that was out on Arista, but the original albums weren't out. And of course, the original albums, the first five especially, were big sellers and had a lot of good tracks on them that weren't available. So uh, I made the original licensing deal with... Uh, at that point, uh, it was Arista Records had made a deal with Columbia Pictures to put out the Coal Gems Masters and Related Masters. Now, your first Monkey's release, was an, if I'm not mistaken, was an album called Monkey Flips? Yes, because it was, um, you know, like as, as I mentioned, because the greatest hits was available, it was sort of like, well, why don't we do some, you know, rarities and things that hadn't been out or were like on B-sides or... Uh, you know, obscurities. Uh, Rhino also released the very popular Missing Links series with three volumes of that filled with rare and, and unreleased recordings. Were you surprised at the amount of unreleased uh, recordings there were for the Monkees? Uh, no, oh, but let me think. Um, you mentioned Monkey Flips. I would think Monkey Business. Was that before Monkey Flips? Was that the uh, pictures, picture yeah, I think disc? That might have been first. But anyway, getting back to answering your question, um, well, uh, when I was a, uh, uh, a young rock journalist and going to UCLA, um, among the first interviews I did was with uh, Mike Nesmith. And at the time, he speculated that there were around 50 Monkees tracks that were unreleased. And when he told me that, I was really surprised because it's kind of like, wow, that's really a lot of tracks. How come they <laughs> came out? So, so that always kind of stayed with me. So years later at Rhino, um, uh, you know, I knew that there were those tracks there. Uh, it just obviously took us a few years before we could actually access those. Um, I look back to the year of 1986 as really a, a huge year for the Monkees and for Rhino. Um, MTV started to air their series. They had the highest grossing tour of the year, and, and I believe all nine original albums entered the charts again. Um, I don't know if it was all nine, but it was, uh, I think, including maybe the uh, first greatest hits that were maybe like a total of nine records. Gotcha. Were you amazed how big they hit all over again? Well, I think everybody was. I don't think it was anything that you could have predicted it. But, I mean, the thing about, and this is a good example that you brought up, um, it just really points to the fact that the, the, uh, the records were really good and the TV show was really good, and if they weren't, then uh, the monkeys wouldn't have uh, had this uh, sustaining appeal. Um, after an amazing summer, in September of 1986, all four monkeys reunited at the Greek theater. 
Um, I was lucky to be in the audience that night, and I hope you were. Yes. Um, what was your reaction to seeing all four guys on stage for the first time since 69? Well, it was really magic. It was, uh, yeah, it was really great to see that. I mean, obviously, at the time, I think uh, anybody who saw the three was, you know, would have been would have been happy if Nesmith had, you know, joined them for the tour. But it was nice to get a little bit of Nesmith rather than none at all. Now, you guys didn't want to just rest on your laurels. In, in 88, uh, you created a brand new project, a brand new album featuring all three guys called Pool It. Tell me about your memories of the, of the Pool It experience. Well, what happened was, <clears throat> obviously, the, uh, um, the tour in 1986 did better than anybody thought, and the interest in the monkeys could not have been anticipated. So um, they wanted to do a tour again, the... Uh, next year again just the three of them and um, and the manager David Fishoff at the time who we knew and had a relationship with he came to us and uh, you know felt that they should have a new album out and we were totally fine with that so yeah that's I go into that in uh, real detail in uh, the Rhino record story and one of the two monkeys chapters in there oh very good yeah so basically um yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, the biggest disappointment was, because I, I, you know, I thought they did a, a decent record on there, and there were some good tracks on there, but the um, rock video for Heart and Soul was, I thought, really exceptional, uh, which was the first single. And um, while MTV had been supporters of the Monkees the previous year, uh, by 1987, um, you know, they didn't play the uh, the video, and it was just very disheartening because um, you know the that album could have done so much better if people actually um, you know were exposed to it. And uh, so, so it was a disappointment that uh, I mean, it still sold well, but you know, when something has potential to sell much more, and it uh, you know it didn't, then you know that was kind of like a disappointment because it, you know because it was the uh you know because of the video and the song were good sure being a, a friday morning quarterback was there anything different that could have been done well it was kind of complicated again in the in the in the uh the monkeys chapter and the rhino record story i you know speculate but i don't really know exactly what sure mtv was thinking and then sure back in those days and uh the 80s especially there was a lot of payola going around um and that wasn't something that we would have participated in even if we had the funds to do it and uh that's what i'm saying is a lot of times uh, maybe certain records were not played because you know money or, or drugs did not uh um, exchange hands i mean we weren't the only it wasn't only kind of like the monkeys um the Bee Gees had a around the same time had a a gigantic worldwide hit, and uh, but uh, it didn't. It fared only a little bit better than uh, you know the monkeys and the uh, uh, on the charts at the time. Which brings me to 1997, when Rhino got behind uh, the Justice Project, which was an, another recording. But this one featured all four monkeys. Um, what are your th memories or thoughts of Justice? Well, I think the timing was right, and part of what precipitated that was. Um, Nesmith had committed to doing a U.S. tour, um, and so that was another one of the reasons, or a main reason, 
to do the album and um you know unfortunately after doing the uk tour much to i think everybody's disappointment including myself sure. he decided not to do the u.s tour um but i think part of it was um uh as a creative entity they really enjoyed making headquarters when they were the you know only musicians and they played together so the idea of calling it uh, just us or justice was it was just them playing and the justice idea of uh, well that the fact that they were prevented from playing on the early records so uh, you know in a uh, uh, J-U-S-T-I-C-E way that this was justified that yes they could you know musically carry off an album like that were you happy with the end, end results um I wasn't happy with it. Um, I thought they did a good job on it. Um, I didn't think there were any great songs. There was nothing on there that sounded to me like a hit single, but by the same token, I didn't think that there was anything that was really bad on it. Um, I think my initial disappointment was that um, Nesmith didn't contribute more in the way of uh, new material, um, you know, because he uh, was such a good writer. So yeah, I wish it was. I wish it would have been better. But basically, I let them do what they wanted to do. So that's kind sure. of how it came out. Now, out of the Justice Project, also came one of the great fan events: a, a special concert featuring all four monkeys at the now closed nightclub Billboard Live. And if I remember right, you introduced the band that night on stage, didn't you? That's true. Yes. How did that whole project come about? And probably more importantly, why has it stayed in the vaults for twenty years? Um, that's interesting. Um, I guess it was videotape, but I don't think we did it. I think probably the club did it. Um, well, um, first of all, uh, it really wasn't live. It looked for everybody who was there, it looked live. But, uh, you know, parts of it were uh, pre-recorded. So uh, it uh, it wasn't like, here's this live concert that uh, hasn't been released. Now, having said that, um, the real mystery is um, when um, the Monkees played in Japan in 1968. And the story there is that um, in place of airing two episodes, the uh, TV station there um, recorded uh, the show live at Budokan and uh, played that over two episodes of the monkeys in japan and it seems hard to believe but from our research apparently the it was done on videotape or two-inch videotape that the show wasn't kept that the tape was recorded over um uh rhino we did have an audio of it you know that we found and we did put it out on um CD, but that's the big biggest disappointment when you think about this, you know, videotaped concert in Japan of the original group playing live, and the fact that uh, you know that it just doesn't exist. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would have thought that that Japan would have sent it back to Columbia Pictures, or Columbia Pictures would have requested it. And I, that's what I'm saying is I don't really understand how that was just merely wiped. Um, tell me about the 50th anniversary of the Monkees. How do you feel their legacy will be written? Um, 
Well, I think because of the revivals and other things, that uh, you know the legacy is is already there and in place. But I just think you know, like with anything on an artistic level, um, good art is timeless in a sense, and a lot of times art art isn't as appreciated as much um, when it was originally around as it might have been. Uh, or re-examined decades later. I mean, a good example might be somebody like Nick Drake, for instance, who was, you know, really obscure and didn't sell very well when he came out. Um, you know, unlike the Monkees, who were, um, you know, uh, commercially successful. So I just think that the fact that, um, you know, the records really were strong and the TV show was really good, and that's why uh, people can enjoy it today. Do you think they should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, for me, definitely. Yeah, I don't know if that will ever happen in our lifetime, but I, I sure hope it does. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I, I know a little bit more about, you know, the process from having been on the nominating committee and being a regular voter. So it's, um, yeah, I just think ultimately the stigma is that, you know, the monkeys just don't have that respect among that, uh, on that side of things and also the fact that, you know, they didn't write their hits. I mean, there's other ways to look at it. You could say, like, okay, well, the Motown groups, they didn't play their instruments and they didn't write their hits. Um, and the Monkees were much more than that when you think about, um, you know, what they created uh, with the TV show. But, you know, be that as it may, there's the stigma. So while I would like to see it happening, I kind of don't think that it will. Sure. Well, Harold, tell us what you're working on now. Well, um, you know, the uh, the Rhino Record Story, the book uh, that uh, came out, uh, um, I thought uh, was really important for me to write because I just thought that if I didn't capture the Rhino story that uh, it would be lost. And part of the story also, there's uh, significant chapters on a lot of artists that we um, were involved in. Uh, I mentioned two chapters on the monkeys. There's the turtles and Tommy James, and also the uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie that uh, that Rhino Films produced. So um, there's I'm working at the moment on a book about uh, the artists of the British Invasion. Who, um, when I was again a rock journalist in my 20s, I interviewed a lot of these people at a time when, because they weren't having hits. Um, they really weren't, uh, you know, getting requests to tell their story. So I think um, I'm really happy with uh, how it's going so far, but, uh, you know, at the moment uh, there is no publisher, so that's, uh, you know, into the project in the future. Harold, let me be one of many uh, Monkees fans to say that thank God for Rhino. Without Rhino, I don't know what would have happened to the Monkees catalog or their legacy, and thank you so much for the care and handling and the fans that you've helped us create by turning more people onto the monkeys. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you. And good luck with your book. Thank you. Take care. Have a good morning. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Harold Bronson, thank you. And thank you for all the years Rhino did so much for monkeys fans. Here it comes. The Monkeys, the complete series is coming to Blu-ray. All 58 episodes, carefully remastered from the original 35mm prints in high definition for the very first time. 10 jam-packed discs that also include the movie Head, the 1969 TV special, 33 and a third revolutions per monkey, plus an exclusive bonus disc full of surprises. Pre-order now at monkeys.com. 
This set is not available anywhere else and is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered copies. The Monkeys, the complete series, on Blu-ray, only at monkeys.com. On today's episode of Zilch, we have a rare, mostly unheard interview with Davy Jones and someone else. Jeff Garinger, would you like to set the stage and tell us how you came about interviewing Davy Jones? Oh, sure. You know, because I work here in radio in Los Angeles, I've had the opportunity and the thrill to meet a lot of big stars, you know, everyone from Red Skelton to James Stewart. But whatever happens to me when I get around the monkeys, I just become a blithering idiot. And I had, <laughs> Davey was doing My Two Dads, which was, a, a for those of you that don't remember, it was a sitcom starring Greg Egovin and Paul Reiser. And they both, you know, were two dads to this one girl. And Davey was a guest on that episode, and I found out that he was his autobiography that made a monkey out of me had just come out on audiobooks. So I called the publisher, got an arrangement to go interview Davey, and they said, well, why don't you just come have lunch with him? You must be joking. Let me tell you, I have never been so excited in my life to know that I was going to have lunch with my childhood idol. I, I cannot tell you how excited I was. And they treated me just like a regular guy. I mean, we talked and we, I asked questions and, you know, they, they, they didn't cop an attitude. They were very outgoing. It was between monkey gigs for Davey. They weren't doing anything in 1988. So he was, he was positive with some new ideas. And, and this hasn't been heard since it was air broadcast in 1988. So sit back and enjoy Davey Jones. Plus, a certain Englishman joins the conversation as well. I think you'll enjoy it. Davey Jones at the Sunset Bar and Grill in Hollywood, California in 1988. Welcome to Monkeys Rewind. I'm Jeff Geringer. This week on Monkeys Rewind, we go back to 1988 with a rare interview done in Hollywood for Davy Jones. 1988 was a down year for the Monkeys. They weren't touring and Davy did a guest appearance on My Two Dads. I conducted this interview from the Columbia Bar and Grill during a lunch break while they were rehearsing the show. Davey talks about his autobiography. He had just come from playing Fagin from Oliver and had some ideas about maybe doing a Teen Idols tour with Peter Noon and Mark Lindsay. I should tell you that this is the original In Conversation with Peter Noon because he joins us at lunch and adds some nice comments halfway through so you get to hear Davey and Peter conversing back and forth. It's a time capsule from 1988 here on Monkeys Rewind. Tell me about the process of putting the autobiography on tape. Was it was it fun? Was it difficult? Um, it was it was different. I I'd uh, written the book. We put it down in uh, in book form, and uh, it's just another extension. You know, this uh, the talking books are becoming quite popular. People are reading them, and uh, 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 you know, different stories. They've got different celebrities doing stuff, and so I thought it'd be a good idea. You know, because most of my fans can't read. <laughs> Was it any more emotional retracing some of the events early in your life as you were voicing what was the words of your father and your mother? And very, very much so. Yeah. In fact, um, um, I was um, overcome with emotion a couple of times. You know, it's uh, trying to remember about my mum and dad, writing it down, and then having to speak about it. That was a difficult thing, especially um, uh, having been so close to my family. You know. Um, uh, people don't sort of sort of uh, think that uh, um, people in show business, rock and rollers, have a, a, a that kind of background, or they think it's all sort of like 
footlights and, 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 and fast cars, but uh, I'm very much in touch with my family in England and my sisters, and uh, it was very emotional also when we got to the part in the book when Mike Nesmith joined us on the stage at the Greek Theatre in, La in Los Angeles. That to me was a massive climax in my life, you know, I mean, I just... I just thought one day it would happen, and it did happen, and uh, and it was um, something that you can't explain, you know, really. You just have to be there and feel it, and there was about uh, six, 7,000 people that must have felt as happy as I did. Yeah, we did. We went crazy. Tell me about Manchester Boy. It was it was a almost a poem in the book, yet it's included as a song. Um, Manchester Boy was a song that um, um, I wrote. It's sort of like, a, it is like a poem, a story of my life, and... Um, it was something I've always wanted to record. I've, I've, I've did it about ten years ago, and um, it was um, it was in in my book. And uh, I thought it might a nice, be a nice idea to just put that um, to put that on, on the tape. You know, I mean, I don't know how much uh, um, it's been done before. Whether people, uh, you know, in incorporate a bit of music in their in their tapes. Uh, I don't know how many biographies or autobiographies have been on on tape, but. Uh, I've always wanted to put this one down, you know, maybe this will be the last time it'll be heard, so um, it's quite unique in itself. It really is. It tells a story about growing up and leaving and then coming back to the, to the, to the hometown and feeling much the same. Nothing's changed much around here except my mum and my dad's passed away and I'm still a Manchester boy. My mum's pride and joy, a chip off the old block, my dad. Um, there was a lot of things happening in the 60s, a lot of... Lot of um, uh, people uh, that I was uh, um, fa a fan of, you know, people like uh, Jerry and the Papermakers, Freddie and the Dreamers, uh, um, um, obviously the Beatles, and uh, there was another lad actually from Manchester at the time that's uh, uh, here at the table today at the Columbia Bar and Grill, which is uh, it's a bit show business, but you know, this is what we're doing, we're filming My Two Dads, and uh, I'm on the stage with him for the first time, uh, I've done a couple of TV shows with Peter Noon, and uh, I'm going to get him to have a little word with us in a minute. Who knows? <laughs> See what he's doing. One thing nice about both the tape and the book was that it gave so many times people pigeonhole you as just being a member of the Monkees, yet you're such an all-versatile entertainer, and the book encompasses that, encompasses much more than just the Monkees. Well, you know, people remember you for the last thing that you did, you know, for the last thing that you... Um, um, you know, have done, and you know that's supposedly the best or the or the worst thing you've ever done. Well, I started uh, as uh, an actor in television as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old in England, um, and uh, was on the BBC television and uh, and on the radio, and uh, went into theatre when I was 15. I played the part of the Artful Dodger, and toured um, America as well as appearing on Broadway and being nominated for a Tony Award. You know, as I say, nominated. I didn't win the bugger, but um, you know, maybe there'll be another opportunity to uh, try for that prize. Biggest thrill of my uh, acting career so far has been to um, uh, to play a part that I've always admired, and that's the part of Fagin, which I did at the um, Starlight Theatre in in um, um, in St. Louis, not St. Louis, in um, in uh, Kansas City. And uh, to play that particular part was such a thrill, you know, it was almost like deja vu, seeing some other guy play the Dodger, but playing this beautiful role that Ron Moody played, uh, uh, sort of growing up, and uh, if never ever acting or working ever again, this will be to me one of the highest points in my life, to have played that particular part. 
I don't know whether you've seen the show. Uh, there's been many guys play it, obviously, but uh, Ron Moody's uh, um, interpretation. Well, yeah, I played the part of, uh, of the awful Dodger in that particular show. I wanted to work with the man, and I saw him do it. I'd been with people um, uh, that uh, would be quite unknown in America, but people like uh, John Bluthel and uh, um, uh, who else was there? Um, Clive Revel played it, actually. He's quite a well-known actor. But um, there's a guy called Barry Humphreys who has a, uh, an act in England and in Europe, which is quite successful. He plays a part uh, called Dame Edith, which he's, uh, he dresses up as a lady. And he's, uh, he's quite well thought of. He played the part. He, he played the part on Broadway. So I played it, and it's something I, I really enjoyed doing. The reviews were good, and uh, who knows, maybe it'll lead to doing more character parts. Are you looking forward to doing more musical type, or are you looking for straight acting? I mean, this is your return to My Two Dads here after last season. Well, you know, My Two Dads is a family show. The Monkeys was a family show, you know. The Monkeys was the first time long hair went into the living room, and I'm very, uh, very proud of my... Uh, um, involvement in the monkeys you know I don't particularly think I was uh, great in the monkeys but you know we were all very young and very ambitious and very um, excited to be on television once a week 56 shows 36 countries 100 million records supposedly I don't know I didn't get paid for that many but uh, I'm sure they were or not but then again you know you never do really um, um, get all the monies from any of the departments that you're involved in as you are in show business because uh, there's so many expenses you know or, or that's what my accountant tells me anyway I mean maybe this would be a, a great time maybe we could uh, uh, um, I don't know is it, tell me is it true that Peter Noon has always been rather jealous of you or is that just a fallacy or well we're from the same town you know and it's two Manchester boys make good might you ask him well, we got, actually, we both we both started at the same time. We were both in Coronation Street when it first started, right? I was in it a little bit before you. I played Stanley Fairclough's son, and he played Ina Sharple's niece. Oh, grand, grandson, okay. And um, and then we both joined bands, I think. I, I was in Herman's Hermits, and then you were in, uh, what's it, The Monkeys. And we, we sort of had similar style. We, we had similar backgrounds. We both liked the same kind of music. And every time he made a record, I wished I'd recorded it. And every time I made a he made a record, you know what I mean. You know, the thing is that people think in show business there's competition, it's competitive, but it's not. You don't find that. Only the magazines and, and the polls tend to make it that way. You don't really get in contact. You don't see people that often. You know, most of your friends are probably out of show business. And the idea of working with Peter on My Two Dads, you know, I think that's smart for the producers to put um, to put us together for one thing, you know. It's a good TV show, it's good for our careers, you know, it's good to be seen. You know, you get a shot on a show like that and people remember you for at least another two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, it's impossible to get to 200, 120 million people for 30 minutes any other way except on American TV, unless you work in Japan. Unless you do a concert together, and we're thinking of doing that, actually. We're thinking of doing a couple of concerts next summer. Well, we're talking about it for the first time, so maybe that would be a good idea. I think, what do you think? I think it's a fabulous idea, like Davy Jones of the Monkeys, Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits, and another guy, another person, like, and do the the stars of the 60s or 16... Well, the teenage idols of the 60s. Teeny boppers <laughs> idols of the 60s, and, but show them how good we really are, in fact. Wasn't it people don't Chicago know. the last time you two were together on a stage together? That was funny, yeah. How do you know about AM Chicago? And, and Mark Lindsay, right? Yeah, that's, that's who we thought was the third person on the bill, because we sort of go back a long way. But there's, we have to find the, the absolute perfect person, so... Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we've this is an hour old, this idea. I was just sitting... <laughs> we're, we're actually thinking about Elvis, but um, I don't think uh, that's a good idea anymore. The money's right. 
Colonel Parker won't let him out for that kind of, not kind of money. We're very cheap, me and David. We like to keep all the money for ourselves. So in fact, I'm so cheap, I wake up in the morning, I look underneath the bed to see if I've lost any sleep. That's how cheap I am. <laughs> how about people's remembrances of, of both of you? People have such fond feelings whenever they see you, we either perform on television or on records. It, it must be nice to have such a positive effect on, on millions and millions of people. Well, obviously, it's a good feeling to have people um, enjoy what you do. And uh, it's like having a birthday party all the time, you know. People are always like, look, you know, I've been a big fan for all these years, and they ask you about these records and these, these things that you've done, and they know about it. You know, it's a compliment to you that they know about it. And, you know, those kind of guys that turn around and say, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, to me, I've got no time for those kind of people because it's all part of your life, everything you've done. Um, when you go out and you perform old songs like that, if you look great and you look like you're enjoying it, I mean, Davey still looks mm -hmm. great, I feel sort of okay. It's, they're happy to see that, you, that somebody who's usually as old, most of the audience now are older, as old as or younger than me. It's kind of a, that, no, I know what you mean. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. So they're happy when they see somebody on stage who looks well. But, you know, because most people who are 40 years old, like David's 40 now, most people who are 40 years old are kind of like accountant-looking. Mm -hmm. He still dresses like a teenager and acts like one and has a good time on stage. Well, they're the only clothes I can buy. I've got to go to the, the, the boys' department to get my clothes these days. <laughs> but, you know, people, people are excited when they see people on stage who look good and look like they're enjoying themselves and actually sing better than they sounded on the records, sure. which is... It's very unusual, you know, I went to see like the Happy Together tour or something, mm -hmm. which was the, the, this tour before the, before the Monkeys tour finished all those kind of right. tours. And apart from the Turtles, everybody looked like they were, um, like they'd been dragged out of some bar uh, across the street mm -hmm. in Hollywood and Vine or something. And they had. And they actually, <laughs> that's where they found them. And what happens when you go out on stage and you look good and you sing better than you used to, that makes the audience feel good when they go home. They say, wow, that's a really nice surprise. They, they look good and they care, yeah. They want you to, you see. There's no, there's no sort of put down or, or they don't criticize your performance, you know. You can't tell a Barry Manilow fan that Barry's not good looking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They think he's great looking and they love him. You can't tell a Peter Noon fan that he, 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 you know, that Peter's, you know, he's not got it, you know, and he doesn't sing it the same. No matter what he did, you know, try to tell somebody that loves Frank Sinatra that he can't sing anymore. You know, Frank Sinatra doesn't sing that great anymore. Right. But they don't care. They want to see him. They want to hear the tunes. What do you mean Frank Sinatra doesn't sing good anymore? Well, you, d you think he does. Yeah. But keep, I don't. Keep it down. You never know where Frank is. Yeah, right. yeah, he's, got, <laughs> he's got friends in powerful places. <laughs> anyway, to get back to the original uh, conversation about the book, the book to me is um, Sorry, something that I've always wanted to do. It's something that I have done. And hopefully it will give another... Uh, insight and a bit more information into me, my personality, what I've done in my life and and what I feel about myself. It's a book that's um, in conversation with mm -hmm. and I want it to be very easy reading because we've got a lot of young fans out there. Everything that's in my life is not necessarily in the book but um, there are some things that people didn't know about the book and hopefully it'll be a good read. You know, it's called They Made a Monkey Out of Me and uh, it's published by Don't Press. And uh, quickly, tell me about what's going on Wednesday night. On Wednesday, we'll be at um, Samuel French um, in the in the Valley. Harry Nielsen and myself are going to be there because uh, Harry's company is um, at the moment uh, launching um, the cassette of the book, which is um, 
um, a new thing, and hopefully it'll uh, it'll take off. And you know, if you can't, you haven't got the time to read the book, then you put the cassette on and you drive to work or wherever, and you want to hear a story about a Manchester boy. That's the way to do it. And this is uh, just another, um, um, you know, continuation of the uh, of this um, uh, this story. You know, it's another way of getting it out. It's promotion, and you must promote yourself. It's very difficult. Um, uh, sometimes trying to talk about yourself mm -hmm. and all the things that you know you do and are, but um, this book has has helped me um, unload a lot of my memories and a lot of stuff. Not so that they're never with me anymore, but uh, they, they've helped me get a lot of space on the shelf for new things to come, and hopefully uh, my career will go uh, uh, as it has, you know, in in many directions. So that you know you don't get bored, the audience doesn't get mm -hmm. bored. I want to act, I want to sing, I want to do a bit of this and that, some recording, hopefully. You know, I like to go out on the road and, 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 and perform. I, I, I wouldn't say the monkeys, uh, we're not going to ever do it again, but that's just another thing that we do. It's safe ground. It's a lovely place to go because it's nice working with Peter and Mickey and Mike. Hopefully a movie. Who knows? Thanks for Peter Noon and Davy Jones on Monkeys Rewind. I'm Jeff Gerringer. There you go. Isn't that cool? Peter Noon came by. Oh, man. That's awesome. And and you know what the coolest part was? They bought my lunch. You must be joking. Hey, really? yes. Happy ending. <laughs> Happy ending. Now, Jeff, what was the name of that show Davey was working on? It was My, my two, dads. two Dads. My Two Dads. You know, you, you mentioned the one star, Greg. Abigan. He was, he was BJ and the Bear. I was going to say he was familiar with working with some monkeys, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you had that going for him. Well, that was a great interview, and we want to thank you for sharing that with all the Zilch audience. I just, I just miss, I miss Davey, you know, I, I, all this talk and all this excitement and stuff. You just, you know, the little Manchester boy, I, I miss his involvement and, and wish, wish he was still with us. It's just times like this, God, wouldn't it be great to have all four guys available for the 50th? Oh yeah. But I have a feeling that there somewhere up there. He is just sitting up there with a bowl of popcorn, enjoying everything that's going on. <laughs> I'm sure he is. We have a new record out. Ah, yes. <laughs> the reunion Which, special. Yeah. I'm just looking. You can't lock me up like an animal. I know why he's doing it. It's because I'm short, that's why. I'm short. <laughs> well, it's around this time of year that we all start to think a little bit about Davy and he would be just in, in the prime of it, wouldn't he? He he would be he'd be beaming from ear to ear knowing that there'd be a new monkeys album coming out, I believe. I agree. It's going to be interesting to hear how they work him into the new album with the track that they have. So, Well, I've mm -hmm. always loved Love to Love. I always thought it was kind of a cool track, kind of a almost a little bit me, a little bit you kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm anxious to see how they reinvent it. Yeah, I'm curious too because it was not, it was not maybe something I would have guessed before we found out that that was going to be the track, but it's definitely going to be fascinating to see what they do with it. And, you know, with the people they've got involved, I am not in the least worried. It's going to be something special. We're going to do a tribute to Davey. It's kind of fun to go back to his concert appearances. And, you know, it wasn't always Davey and Mickey or Davey, Peter and Mickey on stage. Sometimes it was just Davey. And he didn't let that evening go by without playing all the Monkees hits. And in some cases... It meant the songs that Mickey sang lead on. Check them out. Whoa.
Davy Jones, we miss you, and you will always be a huge part of the monkey's story and a huge part of the monkeys and a huge part of our hearts. Now, Jeff, what monkey thing are you looking forward to the most this year? Oh, it has to be without question the new album. I mean, that's that's my love is their music and the fact that they're they're going to be accepted by all these alternative rockers is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mainstream press is going to jump all over it. And if they had just done a reunion album like they did Just Us, it would come and go. But the fact that all these guys are involved, Noel Gallagher, come on. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think it'll go number one. Seriously. I'll be, I, I, I would be shocked if it doesn't. I think it's got an excellent chance. I mean, I, I have a, it seems like, you know, John Hughes and everybody at Rhino is certainly working towards that end. But I was, uh, some of us were talking about all the great songwriters that they've got uh, collaborating on this project over on the Facebook group. And I said, it's like they somehow got a hold of one of my mixtapes from like 1992 and <laughs> just basically ticked off all of my favorite artists and songwriters. And they're like all represented. I, I am just so looking forward to this. And I know a lot of other folks kind of from the 80s generation of fans feel similarly. A lot of you know, a lot of our other favorite acts from our younger years are going to be paying tribute to the monkeys in this really cool way, and I can't wait to hear it. Very good. Well, we thank you for listening to Zilch, and we will be back soon, and we will have more color cast commentaries, and we'll have more roundtable discussions, and more monkey news as it comes out. And happy 50th anniversary, everybody. And Happy be- Year of the Monkey. That's right. And before we go, here's Ghosty Timmers. With him coalescing the vapors of what it means to have a Zilch podcast. Here's, here's Ghosty on 50 episodes of Zilch. This is the 50th episode of the Zilch podcast. In this... The Year of the Monkeys, the group's 50th anniversary. In a way, this podcast started at exactly the right time. The stars have aligned. Worlds are colliding. One could say that the past 49 episodes of Zilch have all been an elaborate run-up to this very moment. That would be an exaggeration, but why not? I mean, there's monkey magic in the air. Pun intended, Melanie. With a new album on the way, Featuring all four of the monkeys, a marketing blitz of monkey paraphernalia, the TV show on Blu-ray loaded with extra special goodies, a tour, and not to mention all the monkey mayhem we don't even know about yet. I'm looking at you right now. 2016 is shaping up to be the biggest year for the monkeys since, well, 1966. So get in on the zilch zeitgeist and make sure to listen to all of this year's episodes for the latest news and updates. And when you're done, listen to them again. The monkeys are coming to your town, your Blu-ray player, your CD player, and your computer. And you need to be prepared. Oh my God. I didn't know Ghosty did something. So take some time to think about Davy today. And while you're out there monkeying around in, in your everyday world, remember, use take Zilch along with you. You'll get uh, 25% more work done. You might get the dishes done and everything else done. So it's a productive podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
music and cleaning all together. Yes. We will see you. Thank you for listening. Bye. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. <laughs> Don't now. Now really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. It's that time of year when we... Uh, on today's episode of Zilch... Well, you know, with the brand new monkeys coming... Try it again. (laughs) 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 And I've read it, and I can't It has a... Hang on a second. Let me go look. It has a funny title. Okay. I'm pulling it up on Kindle. Uh Uh-huh. Well, here is an... uh, Well... And ladies and gentlemen, we'll return with one more rack after a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor. Our sponsor. Our sponsor. Draw Cab is superior to those products that contain iron. Draw Cab contains aluminum. Well, iron is fine, but remember, iron can rust. Draw Cab, spelled backwards, means, is, backwards. I'm Fred Velez. My new book, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective, chronicles my experiences with the monkeys from the 1960s into today, along with stories by other fans and how the monkeys touched our lives. A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective by Fred Velez, available on Amazon.com, CreateSpace.com, Smashwords.com, Apple iBooks, Barnes & Noble Nook, and other print and ebook outlets. Hi Zilch fans, this is Melanie Mitchell. Be sure to check out my book, Monkey Magic, a book about a TV show about a band. It's a lighthearted review and companion for the TV show that made the 60s fun. The paperback is available online from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and the ebook can be bought anywhere that fine ebooks are sold. Check out the Monkey Magic Facebook page, follow me on Tumblr at bluemoonalto.tumblr.com, and listen for my contributions here on Zilch, a monkey's podcast.